Leadership is the art of giving people a platform for spreading ideas that work. Welcome to DC Local Leaders, the podcast where we talk to C-suite leaders within the DC area. Our guests share their pathways to success and the important moments that impacted their careers. Lean in as we get the inside scoop on how they are shaping their industries, how they lead, manage, and connect with others. From the sectors of aerospace, defense, tech, IT, and more, this is Local Leaders. Your host has been making meaningful connections with industry leaders for over 15 years. Here's Philip Nathrum. Welcome back to the DC Local Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Philip Nathrum, and today we're going to be talking with Tim Spadafore of CGI Federal. Tim played hockey in college. At no point did he think that he would have a career in defense or government contracting or running a business on his own. He took a COBOL class just to get through college, and that led him on a path of being able to learn from his experiences, take some chances, and found himself at the leadership of a smaller company that was later merged with CGI Federal. He talks about becoming a parent and how that's helped him to learn how to ask better questions based on the way that his daughter asked questions and spending time with the Sprout Therapeutic Center with her taking riding lessons. We just have a great conversation about entrepreneurship, what it means to start a company, some of the things to look out for and how to lean into your mentorship and really ask for the help because it's out there. People do want to help and he's one of those people. He gives back to his college, Rensselaer. He gives back to people locally here by mentoring others, and it's just a great conversation, and I hope that everyone enjoys it and can learn a lot from him. Again, D.C. Local Leaders has partnered with NVTC, that's Northern Virginia Technology Council, to bring Let's Talk Tech with NVTC. It's a digital series. It's all video. We interview technology companies in the area and get a better understanding of what they do and how they do it. You can find more information about that on our YouTube page our Instagram page, or on nvtc.org. And thank you to everyone who's been liking and subscribing on Spotify, Apple, Instagram, and LinkedIn. We really appreciate it. You can also find our episodes on NoteCast. Founded by former Special Forces members, NoteCast is a veteran-owned company. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's a podcast listening app that allows you to take notes directly from the app. Simply tap the bar on the screen that says transcribe and it will transcribe your note, both audio and in text format that you can send it to yourself and never have to write anything down. If you're writing in the car, if you're doing something around the house and preoccupied with your hands, no need to worry. You don't have to stop what you're doing. You can simply tap the screen with your knuckle, with your finger, whatever you have in hand. And NoteCast has got you covered. Check out NoteCast and let's get into the episode. Appreciate you doing this, Tim. We're back with another episode here of DC Local Leaders. Um, you know, today we're in the office of CGI, CGI Federal, right? That's Tim, correct. Yep. Tim Spadafort. And Tim, you know, I, I really hope that uh, I, I think a lot of people are going to learn a lot from you. I know that you've got, you know, a lot of experience in technology and stuff, but we had a chance to talk before. Are you still playing hockey? I'm not playing hockey anymore. No. No. Okay. I got hurt pretty bad. So I hung recently? It up. No, it was, it was when I was in my 30s. Oh, I, you know what? I was kind of hoping you'd have like some cool story. Like last week, you know, we were just in the middle of a game. No. Right. You're a person that's, that's built a company and then later sold it. And I'm sure you've learned a lot of lessons along the way. I hope that someone out there who is maybe technical in their experience, or they're just an entrepreneur can learn from you of how to do it and hopefully reach out to you and say, you know, 
Yeah, that'd be great. So, yeah, why don't we start, you know, just CGI, for anyone who may not know CGI, what's the difference between CGI and CGI Federal, and why was that determination made? And Sure. CGI Federal, we are a wholly owned subsidiary of CGI, and part of that reason is because of foreign influence, because CGI Group is a Canadian-owned company to work in the federal government. You have to be uh, a U.S. company first. So we actually operate independently. We have our own CGI federal board. Um, I actually had a presentation for the board this morning just to introduce myself and talk about the defense practice and where we're going to go. So, and, and you guys predominantly do defense work, or are you kind of the whole gamut of, like, what, what are you focused on most? Uh, we, we cover the gamut. So basically, we're broken into three business units today. Stephanie Mango recently announced as our new president, also runs uh, our SAGE, which is one of our business units that includes defense practice, HHS, Health and Human Services, uh, Department of Justice, and national security, and then the judicial programs, Library of Congress, House of Representatives, that type of thing. Um, Our RAP business unit is regulatory programs. That is Department of Interior, um, Agriculture, agencies like that. And then um, our third business unit is international diplomacy, State Department, aid, patent trade, commerce fall in there. How would you get started in technology and things like this? So I played hockey in school and couldn't, at Rensselaer Polytechnic, you had to pass a uh, computer programming class to graduate. I didn't have the time to focus on the the class that RPI offered, so they had a, a program with a local community college. So a number of us from the program uh, took that class. It was a COBOL development class, if you remember what COBOL yeah. was. Um, and it was one, one night a week, Wednesday night, we'd all slip out of practice early. We took the class pass fail. Um, we all barely passed, but it allowed us <laughs> to graduate. Um, and I had COBOL on my resume because I did learn it, uh, at school and CGI was hiring. So, uh, that having COBOL on my resume for that pass-fail class is really what started my career career really? down here. So let's go back. You're playing <laughs> hockey. Yep. Did you play for your school? You played for the team? Or I was just... on the team. I was one of the backup goalies. Okay. Yeah. So. Pretty tall guy. Yes. Right? Yeah. Helpful. You can reach out there and yep. block the puck. And and where is the school? Uh, Rensselaer is outside of Troy, New York, so it's near Albany. Did you play against like Canadian teams? You... We, were in the, we were in the ECAC, so we basically played the Ivy League schools, okay. um, Union College, Clarkson, St. Lawrence. Um, and then the Ivy Leagues, that was our conference. But what was your major? What Did it have anything to do with I was engineering for about two weeks. Yeah. And then realized that there was no way I was going to pass physics and chemistry. Right. And those, so I converted into management. So, and then, so your first job out of college? Was American Management Systems, which is okay. which was bought by CGI. Okay, but that's just like a coincidental thing. At the time, it was Correct. like AMS. Yep. Did you accidentally end up being a career CGI guy somehow? I'm back. Yeah, you're back, yeah, right? I'm but, back and I'm enjoying it. So yeah, it, it could be it's looking that way. Like so, you get you get into this field that maybe you didn't know that you wanted to be in, right? It sounds like because mm-hmm. you weren't like a technical, I'm going to learn how to be the best coder in the world kind of guy. What what was going on during that time? Like why'd you stay in it? I had some great mentors. The very yeah. one of the very first people I worked with uh, worked for um, Lynn Bushy. She was my first project manager. She just announced her retirement. Um, the end of this year. Um, and then uh, Lou Carr was my technical lead. And I, had, I remember I had to develop uh, alcohol, tobacco, and firearms payroll interface. That was the very first thing I worked on. That I actually you had to develop. I had to develop. So uh, f- learning from Lou, I was in the office every day at seven. He was very diligent about his hours, um, sat side by side with him and learned the ins and outs of 
back then what was FFS, which is the federal financial system, which was AMS's IP at the time. And um, just took it from there and just kept progressing. I then went to the IRS to do the Y2K conversion. Um, IRS was the only CGI customer that didn't take our out-of-the-box solution, which was the two-digit solution. So we actually had to change every table, every document uh, from two to four characters for the, for the year. <laughs> oh, so like instead of saying 1998, it said 98. Well, everyone else said 98. Yes. They were the only ones that they said They were the only ones that said, no, we have to go to four, four digits. Do you think that helped them with the Y2K thing? Like, no. Yeah, because that didn't really even have nope. anything to do with anything. No. Right. Yeah, because <laughs> nothing happened. Like my phone still worked and the watch. They, they took the approach that we're always going to be on this mainframe financial system. And we had built uh, a solution that put it out, I think, into the late 20s, early 30s of 2000. And they were like, well, no, we're going to be on the mainframe forever. So we need the four-digit solution. Yeah. Um, but they were the only ones that, that did that. Was there something going on with you? And you was like, you know, I think I kind of want to do this on my own. Because you later went on to be a COO of a different company mm -hmm. and then later start your own company with uh, TerraThink, right? Well, basically what happened was a number of AMS folks left to start a small business. Um, I remember it was shortly after AMS uh, brought in a new CEO. Basically all this person did was sell companies. I put two and two together and said, you know, I think AMS is going to get sold. So I went to work for a small business, Delta Solutions, and spent six great years there, seven years there. And just rose from being, they brought me as a project manager to being uh, the CEO's right hand where I was senior vice president. Do you think that that was more likely because you were with a small company, not with a big company? or like? It definitely provides you with more opportunity to carve your own path, Yeah, I would say. Because we started as 30 employees. So as you're winning work and as you're adding more employees, you need to figure out dynamically what your organization structure is going to look like, who are your future leaders going to be. And I just worked worked my tail off yeah. to help help us get successful in that, uh, just afforded me the opportunity to, to move into these more senior roles. Did you, did you think about that going in, or did you consult like your mentor going in to like, hey, should I go work for a big company, or should I work for a small company? It was more just uh, taking a chance. My gut yeah. was telling me to go for it, and I figured if it didn't work out, I could always come back or yeah. always find another big company to work for. How old were you? About 27, 28. Yeah, were you married and stuff at the nope. time? Or you just, so you're single, you had... The opportunity to do I that, had the opportunity. Right? It was so. right here local. Um, lived in Arlington at the time. Lived all around this area in Virginia, just trying different locations. That was yeah. one thing I did when I was younger. What's your favorite one? What? Old Town was my favorite. Yeah. It was. I enjoyed living in Old Town, being able to walk. We lived right near the metro, being able to walk downtown. It was close to the trail, so back then I, when I was rollerblading, I could easily get there. Um, that's the one I enjoyed. We, we ended up, I settled in Arlington, lived in Arlington for a large, long time, enjoyed that. Obviously, as you get a little older, I'm further out now. I'm out and I'm closer to Middleburg than I am to anything else. Yeah. So, uh, But what happened with Delta? Like, how'd you get from Delta to launching your own thing with TerraThink? So basically, I had been at Delta for seven or eight years. Um, one of the owners had left the company, one of the owners I was close with. And recognizing that I didn't own the business, um, I could give my recommendation and guidance, but it wasn't my decision. My wife and I were on our second anniversary and just sitting there and uh, talking through what we wanted to, to do. Did we want to stay? Did we want to go? We just said the heck with it. And I took a month off to figure out what I was going to do. Um, and then I talked to another company called IBC. So I had the opportunity to join them. Uh, we won our first prime contract within nine months or so and started to grow. 
And then from there, we continued to do well. We then ran Dominion Consulting for a number of years. Dan, Paul, and I started talking through everything. Um, we approached our other partners, uh, ended up merging Dominion with TerraThink in 2019. Uh, did you, when you said you met your wife at Delta, were you guys working together? Uh, we did work together for a little bit. Yeah. Recognized if we had to change that immediately. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not going to work out. Like you just, It was suggested to me that like proximity is how you actually meet people. We got into a conversation about dating and stuff like that. No, I mean, the reality is you spend, you spend more of your time or as much of your time with your coworkers as you do your family. Yeah. Uh, if you travel, you're spending more time with your coworkers than your family. So I think it's just, you know, it's important that you enjoy who you're working with. I think obviously respect is a key piece of it, but more importantly, I just want to have fun with the folks I work with and share some of those personal experiences that I think carry into your, to your work environment. Yeah. Like what is that initial offer letter or just that blueprint of a business plan? Did you have something to look at or uh, mentor someone to consult? Like what do you even, how do you even put that together? I think from my standpoint, knowing for me, I used the opportunity to learn from Dan and learn from JP because they had already started and sold the business. Mm -hmm. So when I was at Dominion as the chief operating officer there, we were really focused on sitting down saying, okay, where are our relationships? Where are not only in the government customers, but in the commercial side as well, where are our relationships? How, how can we take advantage of our networks? And there's a lot of companies and a lot of people that want to help people get started. I think yeah. that's one of the things that I learned really quickly was, you know, I could reach back into AMS at the time or reach back into um, colleagues at IBM or other small businesses. And they really do want to help you get off the ground and get your get your a good start. You're not a threat when you're first starting. It's yeah. you, when you graduate small business or you get to a point that uh, you're competitive with them, then things change a little bit. Yeah. It, was that mainly because you worked for that company or do you think someone else who just is looking for the advice of how to get started, you think that advice is actually out there and a lot of people are more willing to help? They are. Yeah. They are. I think, you know, you want to take advantage of your network. Um, you want to take advantage of companies or other entrepreneurs that have been successful. Yeah. I think one of the things that strikes me about this area is how many people from Virginia Tech have graduated, started their own businesses and been really successful doing it. And they lean on that network to, to, to help each other out and be successful. And I think that's a big piece of it. Yeah. I mean, look at Octo Consulting. Yes. And, yeah. I just interviewed uh, the Virginia Tech's Innovation Campus enrollment mm -hmm. uh, folks, Robin Jones okay. and uh, Danette Gomez-Bean. And, and it's a big, like, technology, what they're trying to accomplish with that innovation campus is, like, the next 50 years of technology. So I, I talk to as many people as I possibly can. All, that's the only skill set I have is talking to people. That's not a bad thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I talk to folks, and I'm decent at math. When I talk to people, people that just, they work for another company, and sometimes they can express some a little bit of entrepreneurship, right? But there's that fear of, like, oh, there's so much competition. Even starting a podcast, I'll put it in the first person. There are so many podcasts out there, right? And there's so many naysayers. Well, there were so many people, great people, but their suggestion was, yeah, but there's so many podcasts. And there's so many options for people like Tim to want to speak to and be on their platforms. Why would they choose you? And that could sometimes be a barrier. And that fear and vulnerability of putting yourself out there could be a barrier. That's actually not the case. If you're able to just get yourself out there and start talking about what you want to create, there's people out there that will help you be successful. There are, and I think entrepreneurship, it's really up to you to decide what it is. You know, yeah. some people, when people think of entrepreneurship, a lot of people instantly go to, oh, you started your own company or you started your own franchise or you started your own business. That's not always the case. I think one of the things that 
I really enjoy about the CGI culture is that every member is an owner and we want every member to think about growing the business and building the business. And it's a responsibility we, we do put on everybody. So uh, everybody's a shareholder? We do offer, we do offer that to everybody. Um, in my defense group, 85% of my members are shareholders, and that's something we're pretty proud of. Um, and we do that through stock purchase plan, which I think is, is, is just invaluable. Yeah. When you see the stock increase and you see the stock go up, you feel like yeah. you've been part of that. But, you know, for those that are thinking of starting their own business or their own company, lean on your mentors inside. Lean on your mentors if you're part of a larger organization because a lot of what you need to start your own business, you have the mechanics of it and, oh, I have to do payroll and I have to do HR and I have to do um, marketing and business development. But those are all skills that you learn with the company that you're currently working for. So is the fear of if I say that they're going to think I'm not a team player or they're going to think I'm trying to leave, maybe I'm not articulating that fear correctly. No, that makes sense. I think, you know, obviously we want to retain all of our top talent. A reality of this marketplace, particularly here in D.C., with how competitive it has gotten, we know that's not going to be possible. Um, we just had a VP that has been at the company for 20 years, uh, had an opportunity to go work with a small business and have some ownership in that, and CGI treated him great. Now we're still, him and I exchanged notes last week to talk about, all right, now that you're out, once you get settled, let's, let's connect and see if there's ways we can work together. Where did the idea come from the first time you thought about, I think we should kind of partner and go off on our own thing. Can you coach that? You can. One of the, one of the things I explored um, and still think about is what mentoring can I do for small business owners? You know, particularly where we learned a lot uh, was around the, the M&A space, you know, as we doing a, a merger like we did the first time with Dominion or the second time with TerraThink, where you're not exchanging cash and it's just, hey, let's just put our heads together. It's a little, the mechanics are a little easier. Um, but what we learned going through that is there's a lot of small businesses that have big aspirations, but they don't know how to get it to the next level. They don't know how to manage that growth effectively. Yeah. And we've talked to some of our M&A partners, investment bank partners in terms of, you know, is there a market for those types of advisory services? Yeah. And we found there is. Some companies, you know, the smaller business in particular, if there's one owner or two owners, they put so much into their business, their blood, their sweat, their tears, that it's hard for them to see uh, the forest between the trees yeah. and make some of those strategic growth decisions that need to be made when you hit a certain size. Yeah, sometimes we get tunnel vision mm -hmm. or other suggestions could feel almost like an attack on what you've created or saying that it's not enough or not good enough. Right. But that's a lot of awareness as a leader or as a, an owner of a company that you need to be able to have to receive that message. And I think you need to make a decision early on and what do you want, what do you want your business to be? Um, you know, with respect to some, some people, you know, when they start a business, they're like, I just want to run this business till I'm ready to retire and then either give it, hand it over to my employees or shut it down. Um, other people go in with the mindset that, hey, I want to sell my business. And you do have to treat both separately because there's different ways to, to run the businesses, different investment decisions you need to make to run the businesses. Um, have you found that you as an individual had to almost grow into a different person? When you're an entrepreneur, you kind of wear a lot of different hats and you're not necessarily, even though your job title might be chief executive officer, you're not actually that chief executive officer of a you know decentralized command sort of team. Right. If you're continuing to grow, 
you're going to have to put those those responsibility positions in place, right? And now you do become that. What's that growth feel like? And what do you do to even make that growth? It's hard. I think the one thing that's really evolved for me over time is patience, my patience. Yeah. When I first started, I would eat, when I first started managing people, even at AMS, I would get easily frustrated if they weren't figuring out it wasn't clicking. Um, and as you grow and as you progress, specifically as you start a small business and you are doing everything, you're doing the business development, you're doing the finance, you're doing the payroll. Um, fortunately, I had good business partners that we all could take some of the load off of each other and we kept our responsibilities fairly siloed. But at some point, you need to be able to let go and you need to be able to make hires and trust other people to do what you want them to do or yeah. to do the job. And the, the biggest thing there in letting go is understanding there's more than one way to solve a problem and being okay and comfortable that, you know, you may solve a problem differently than me. And I, tr I hired you and I trust you. So I need to let you do that was one piece of it. I think the other hard piece for me was, uh, the personal aspect of it. Um, you know, when you own a business, you take your wins and losses pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, when people leave, you take that pretty hard and you just, you get close and you build a connection with folks. And as you progress in your career, you don't have that same ability to do that. You know, um, at Terra Think, as an example, we had 200 employees and I knew all of them yeah. and could connect okay. with all of them. They could uh, pop into my office if they were at the office to say hello. Um, as you move now, now I'm responsible for about 650, 700 members and many of them are, are dispersed around the country. Trying to do video chats when I can, uh, connect with people when I can it's, is, has been harder, but the thing is I'm not as close to members as, yeah. as I like a terror think I would know if a member was leaving, right. you know, and why they were leaving. Cause I've talked to them about it here. I don't, I don't have the ability to have that same connection just because of the, the size. Do you miss that? I do. Yeah, I do. I'm really anxious to start traveling again. Um, I so want, you can go to the places. So I can go to the sites and meet yeah. meet meet the folks I haven't been able to meet with. So that's something I'm I'm looking forward to when we can. Is that part of the culture that you like to build in your your group? I think it's important that you have that personal connection with people. I think it's important that you build a, a bond with people because it lets you be a more effective leader and lets you understand what day-to-day -day challenges people are having. I think one of the hardest things right now uh, that worries me a lot is um, members' emotional and mental state living in this world we're living. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm tired. I'm at, my office is up in the bedroom right now. I'm in yeah. my bedroom 20 hours a day. Yeah. And uh, there'll be days where my wife says, just get out of the house, even if you just go drive around, because right. we're, we're so uh, focused on work and our Zoom calls and our teams meetings and getting through everything. Um, today, as an example, you know, I had a parent teacher conference at eight on zoom and meetings all the way through five thirty, six o'clock tonight, yeah. um, with no breaks. So I think that's the one thing that, uh, has been challenging. I like be, I like being able to just walk down the hallway, pop into someone's office and just talk work or not. One thing I realized, so I did a silent retreat one time the guy with the podcast stayed silent for five days. And I learned one thing, the first thing, one of the first things I picked up, because I vibed with people there and we're not talking, right? We communicate with so many different ways than just the noise we make with our mouth. And I think we're missing a lot of that in the, 
the the virtual setting right because i can't like get your body language right. and like the and we get to be animated and a little bit more but sometimes we just you know in front of the screen we just end up being a little bit more robotic yeah and i think one of the things i actually think that's a positive out of covid um even with wearing masks i notice people are making eye contact a lot more oh because they don't have you, can't, you, just, you yeah. can't see their face and so as a result the only way to really communicate with someone and to show them how you're feeling is through your eye contact yeah and that's something even passing someone in the grocery store um talking to someone ordering a meal i think that's a big been a big change for the positive it's all eyebrows yep so how many kids do you have one how old she is seven do you playing hockey too no you talked about patience right did you find that the way that you interact with other people and uh, the patients you had changed by becoming a father and having a kid? Oh, for sure. Yeah. I think uh, you have to take yourself much less seriously. Um, we were actually looking to downsize. We lived near the East Falls Church Metro, and we were actually looking to downsize into a condo and move into D.C. And then we, uh, I was driving to Toby Hanna Army Depot up in near Scranton, Pennsylvania, and my wife came in crying, and I'm like, would the dog die? <laughs> and uh, she's like, no, I'm pregnant. And we weren't <laughs> expecting to have children, so... I then had to hop in the car immediately and go on like a four and a half hour drive and just started thinking about everything. And sure enough, we had Henley and um, it does change you. You know, we got lucky because when we had her, the Olympics were in Russia. So we could watch everything live in the middle of the night when we were up and she was oh, crying because, and being fussy. So we, we didn't have during the day. It was all right. Not going to worry about that. I mean, you do learn to interact with people differently because as you as she starts to get more curious and is talking to you and asking questions you're like well that's an interesting way to ask that question i think it just it changes it changes how you're viewed in the world yeah. like i think you know i think about meetings now i'll be on a zoom meeting and it might be with a client or i might be presenting to a number of people she'll pop in and give me a kiss on the cheek see you later dad and it's like all right people see that side of you and i think that's that's been a, a positive and especially in a leadership role do you think it's important to be a little bit more human that way that like people see that, all right, he's also, you know, he's a father, he's a husband, he's all these things. He's someone just like I am. And cause you're not perfect either. Right. right? And right. so like if you, they can see that you are vulnerable and make mistakes and learn from them. And do you think that makes them more willing to do that and bring those mistakes to the table? I do. I think, you know, I'm a fairly emotional person. So when I announced the, the merger with CGI as an example, I was on video we got pretty emotional about it because, you know, it was effectively, I had started with, with Todd and George in 2009 and 11 years later, we had been through two, mer the first two mergers weren't the same because we weren't going anywhere. We were still all working together. This was much more of a, we're still going to work together, but it's under a very different construct. And, you know, when folks hear that emotion in your voice and they, they feel that connection, you see a lot of, I had a lot of folks turn video on so they could see my face. Yeah. And they, and then I could see theirs. I think that was, that was important. What was the feeling? Was it excitement or was it loss or was it somewhere in the middle? Uh, somewhere in the middle because yeah. I didn't know what my role was going to be. Um, I didn't know what plan CGI had in mind for, for terror think or how we were going to be split out. I had a general idea, but it's really that excitement about what comes next. What, what impression do you think you're making on your daughter by being in the position you're in and some of the conversations she overhears you having in the room upstairs? I think she's, I think she's starting to understand a little bit, uh, at school she's learning, they, at school they were learning about Canada. Yeah. And I had, a, we had a meeting last week and 
I, she's like, Daddy, why was your meeting so long? I'm like, well, we had what we call our global ops meeting. And, you know, it's people from all over the country and people in Canada, people in Europe. She's like, whoa, that's really cool. So she doesn't quite understand what I do, but she knows I have a lot of meetings. She knows I manage a number of people. And, you know, as she grows and continues to ask questions, I think she'll see uh, more and more. Like this morning, her big focus was she actually came in and woke me up, I think, at 6 o'clock. She's like, Daddy, you need to get into work. I'm like, well, my meeting's not too late. She's like, no, you need to get into work so you don't miss parent-teacher conference. Oh. Because that was at 8 o'clock this morning. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, it's, it's good. It's, you know, as I see her learn and as I see her improving her reading now, it, it makes you proud and it makes you uh, look at life a little differently. Well, she doesn't play hockey, but does she play sports at all? Um, she's learning to ride. Uh, we do a lot of work. Horses? She is. We do a lot of uh, sponsorship work with Sprout Therapeutic Center. It's a center out and out near us, and they use riding as a, a way to help people with disabilities, and, and they do community lessons there. So we've gotten to know Brooke and her team really well, and um, Henley does her riding there. She loves it. Yeah, horses are incredibly perceptive. They are. Like in terms of, like, emotional, like, understanding people, and, and I think that's, a, a, like, it's therapy, right? People that suffer from any number of the trauma yes. of any any different type. I, th- I think the thing with riding too is it's teaching her to be responsible at a very young age yeah. um, because they don't treat the seven-year-olds any different than they treat the 15-year-olds. You know, yeah. she has to groom the horse at when they're done. She has to m- help clean them and comb them. Um, she's learning how to take care of them. And uh, she has to walk them to the, to the pastures. She has to clean up after them. Um, and uh, I think it's teaching her a responsibility that yeah. she probably wouldn't learn yet otherwise. Yeah, you need to take care of this thing. Is it scary, like, having her up on the horse? Like, what if, is she afraid of, like, falling? Or she's not. She's, no. she's, they start on ponies, so they're a little smaller. Um, she's fallen off a couple times. They've, not, they've turned one way or turned the other, and she's lost her balance. Uh, they give her a ribbon called Hitting the Dirt. It's actually oh. a brown ribbon. Uh, so she has three or four of those. Um, but more importantly, when she does fall off, she's anxious to get back up. Yeah, I think that's, and that's probably a great lesson for life, yes. right? You're going to make mistakes, but you can keep going. And she's just learning. So it's a lot of walking still, learning the basics of how to steer yeah. the horse and control the horse. Um, but uh, she enjoys it. So, Is it scary being a parent? The reason why I'm asking is because, all right, running a business, calculating risks, using your experience, making good decisions. This is your first, so you just kind of going with it. Yep. We have a lot of friends that we, we have a lot of friends that uh, in our neighborhood in particular, a lot of children the same age or in that yeah. same age. So we, we lean on each other and help each other out. Like, um, hey, is this normal? Like, yes. A lot of <laughs> do that. Do kids do this? A lot she of that. She asked me this question. Is she like, should we? Yeah, I think the biggest thing now is, you know, I'm starting to see some of the boy crazy already. Um, it's where she goes to school, it's only a handful of girls. It's more boys than girls. So she's kind of forced to interact, I think, which is a good thing with the boys. And she's really had to assert herself and show that, hey, you're not going to push me around. And I think that's been yeah. a bigger thing. Fortunately, she's tall like me. I think she's the tallest in her class. Yeah. So that gives her a little bit of an advantage too. <laughs> Do you think playing sports younger and being – in a team environment had anything to do with sort of your natural ability to become a leader? I do. Yeah, I do. I think what sport is particularly in college, what sports does, um, all, all the way growing up, you appreciate what your parents do for you. 
to get you started. Um, you recognize the hard work that they put in to help you get you to practices, pay for you to play all these sports. Yeah. You know, growing up in upstate New York, um, during the hockey season, we had three games on the weekend. We'd play one on Saturday, two on Sunday. Sometimes we weren't getting home until seven or eight at night uh, because we're going on a road trip or whatnot. And they have to get you up in the morning, get you get you to school. Those are all things that you start to appreciate. The other thing I think sports does is it starts to teach you some discipline around your schedule and managing your time and managing your tasks. I think that's a big thing, particularly in college when you're out on your own for the first time. I had the fortune in high school to, to teach at goalie camps growing up, so I was gone for summer, so I had to learn how to live on my own um, even at like 16, 17. And you were teaching other people at goalie mm -hmm. camp? You were getting a lesson in how to be a mentor. And then um, in college, you start to learn, okay, I have to manage my time. I have to manage my schedule. I need to get my homework done, yeah. even if I've got practice. So you start to learn about the responsibility of hitting your dates, meeting your targets, meeting your commitments. And that's something that I think is really critical, particularly in your early career, because that's how you show your leadership that, hey, I've got the potential. Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're missing your targets, you're missing your dates, you're missing your deadlines, you know, your, man, your leader's not going to have as much confidence to put you in charge of the next thing. Do you think you can coach it if you didn't play sports? What about the people that do have the aspiration and entrepreneurship? I think spirit? you can coach it. Yeah. I think you, I, I enjoy mentoring. Um, I still, I still do a lot with Rensselaer. Um, I'm part of our executive leadership, our Lally leadership council, and that's in former Rensselaer grads that have all been successful in their careers. We, we help the management school set priorities and really help the, the school get some more visibility. So that's a big focus. I actually have a call Monday afternoon to talk through what our summer priorities are going to be. How can we help enrollment? How can we help get the, the Rensselaer brand out there? Not dissimilar to how can I get the CGI brand out there in the right. defense space? It's still I'm pretty involved with the hockey program. Um, we actually have a Rensselaer uh, student interning for CGI, interned for CGI last summer. He's interning for CGI again this summer, uh, really helping them through the, I want to be a professional hockey player, but I also want to work and I want to get an education. So really mentoring them on how do you balance that? And at what point do you say to yourself, all right, my career, my hockey career is over. Right. It's time to to think about the real world and you know just being able to provide that avenue and that network to to the team uh to folks thinking about what's next uh is great i think the one thing that universities still could do a better job of is preparing graduates for what working in the real world is like you know at terra think we had um terra think had implemented a, a an onboarding program where the first two days was really okay in a federal environment here's how you have to dress Here's what's appropriate, here's what's not. Here's how you talk to your customer. Here's how you're respectful. You know, here's what you can and can't say. And a lot of it is just around how do I work in this type of environment? I don't know that universities prepare yeah. graduates for that. Well, and even, even some of those skills that you learn playing hockey and being a part of a team that, that you're coaching like through the university, like where else could people learn those skills if they're not in like that program at that school or like can like let's say they're like late twenties, thirties and they're just now like, you know, I think I wanna do this. Like how do they get that skill set or learn that? There are a lot of seminars and things like that that are available. CGI is an example. We have something called academia and it's a lot of online learning. We'll we will pay for and put some of our rising senior consultants and directors into leadership training and that type of thing so they can learn the, the basics. 
but at the end of the day, you've got to practice it. Yeah. Okay. You really do. You just have to, it's trial and error. Okay. My teacher said, or my instructor said, I should handle the situation this way. All right, Philip, I'm going to try this and see if it connects. One thing that's really struck me too is leadership personality uh, training that's out there and things that are out there. You know, as an example, I just had my leadership team. We did leadership 360. Um, basically you get 13 people to, uh, like 13 to 15 people to evaluate you. One's your direct manager, a number of your peers, a number of partners, and they just give you a, pro- and it turns around a profile for your leadership style. So I, I know that, all right, Philip, based on your profile, you're more reactive than I am. Well, I might be more creative and I may be more of a promoter and you might be more of, um, uh, an, anal- an analytical person. So it helps in how, when we have conversations, knowing that uh, really helps me know how to talk to you and how to connect with you. Yeah. So it sounds like it's not meant to criticize and it's no. not meant to shame or change anything about the person. It's just to help the other people understand that person better to communicate with them differently. Yep. What I found from my personal profile as an example was I'm way too hard on myself and, and I can recognize that pattern um, from growing up and the, the pressure and the responsibility my father put on me to, to be successful and, you know, if it was never good enough. So I tend to be more critical of myself than others. And this was some good insight into that. Is that what it was like growing up? Like mm-hmm. he was like, well, what is it? Cause so like my parents, you know, if I got an A minus, I failed the class. Yeah. My father wanted me to be successful. He had been in the military, um, was then in the reserves. He stayed in the reserves for, for 20 years or so. Um, and just put a lot of pressure on, on me to be successful. And I think that was, um, what did he call successful though? Like, what was he saying when he was saying for him? I think it was more about just having a good head on your shoulders and making smart decisions, even up to the point where he passed a few years ago. I never told him how much housing costs down here. I, they, they, they wouldn't be able to make the connection. You know, they wouldn't understand that, wait, you just spent how much money on a house? Right, yeah. You know, I think it's, he tried to ask me from time to time, but I just never, I never just, went there because they wouldn't, right. it was like comparing apples to oranges. How'd you, how'd you learn how to navigate? It was just like, I just can't talk to him about this. Or Yeah, I would use generalities. How'd you, at what point did you feel comfortable enough to, you know, it's still a parent. Yeah. At what point did you feel comfortable that it's like, all right, I need to start setting these boundaries? I think moving down here helped. Yeah. Um, you know. Oh, the distance. Between. The distance was a big piece of it. We'd talk once a week when I was younger, and as we got older, it would be almost daily, yeah. you know, just to check in. My mom had passed a couple of years before that, so just okay. to check in on him every day, see how he was doing. Then it, uh, you, you start to control the conversation a little more than you did when you were younger. Yeah. And I think how old that was, were you when that happened, though? Probably in my 30s. Yeah. That was probably in my 30s when I started communicating with them differently. What was your mom like growing up? She was great. She, you, you really get an appreciation for, for how far. She was a stay-at-home mom uh, raising three boys. Mm-hmm. You know, my dad worked a lot, uh, just part of the, what he did. She really formed who I am today, particularly around my daughter. I think okay. that's a big piece of it. Yeah. Um, and that, that's probably the biggest takeaway there. Was she, was she like the opposite of being really hard on you and kind of balance that out? She or did. Or was she supportive? Of- she was much more supportive. And, you know, she, she, would, she would get into it with my dad when she felt like he was being too hard on me. Yeah. Um, you know, I didn't, for better or worse, I didn't make a lot of mistakes growing up in terms of poor life decisions. Yeah. Um, you know, so uh, they just, because of that, they gave me a lot more responsibility than I think... Um, 
than others probably did. You didn't really get in trouble. No. Are you the youngest or? Where I, are you I'm the, the old. I was the oldest. You're the oldest. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's because you're the oldest that you find that they were easier on your younger siblings than they were on you? No. No. Well, yes. In terms of being successful, they were much harder on me. Um, but I think what it, they saw was how hard it they pushed me. I could handle that. My younger brothers didn't hmm. and uh, rebelled a little bit growing up and all the way up into their 30s. Yeah. Do you think that any of that environment growing up had anything to do with the choices you made to not work for other people but start your own thing and continue to do that and, and rise? You know, there's a, And there's nothing wrong with just having a great job, making a great salary, and going off and living your life and using that to, to do all the things you really want to do. Like, I don't want to make it sound like you have to be an entrepreneur or right. you don't count. That's not what I mean. I just... But you didn't take that approach and do you think any of that had anything to do with that i do i think i think how much trust they put in me how much independence they gave me particularly in high school um helped can help to contribute to that you know when i was teaching at when i was teaching and counseling at the goalie clinics in the summer you know i was in we we traveled so i would be in detroit for six weeks then we'd go to windsor we'd end up in toronto you know, so I was traveling over the whole summer. So I wasn't there with my friends to get in trouble. Uh, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't just staying in our hometown. I was getting more world experiences. And even through college, I did the same thing. And, um, you know, I spent less time at home, less time, uh, in the small town growing up to, to not get exposed to, to different things. Yeah. What do you think all that traveling taught you? I think generally learned a lot of different personalities. Yeah. I learned learned a lot of different communication styles. I learned a lot of different um, responsibilities, you know, uh, and that I think was the biggest thing. It helped me. It helped me communicate, um, helped me be a little more outgoing. I still today don't like speaking in front of people. I I still don't. Um, like even doing the the presentation this morning to the board, I was a little nervous going up there and I'm like, wait, this is just everybody I work with. You know, I have to remind myself that that speaking in front of people is not a scary thing. Are you tough on your daughter? The way you're, I am. I'm too tough on her. You feel like you're, yeah, I do. Like Martha and I'll speak to each other and be like, all right, we're being way too hard on her. You know, she speaks her mind. Uh, she's seven. We're working on the honesty part. Um, but I, I am too hard on her at times. Yeah. Well, she's probably just trying to figure you guys out too, right? Like how much can I get away with? I think that's part of it. Um, but I think she's learning that if she asks the right way, um, if she doesn't lie to us, we let her, we give her more rope similar to what my parents did. And, you know, she now can ride her bike to her friend's house and that's not a big deal. Um, we trust her to do that. And, uh, telling you the truth about where she's she's going. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I, uh, you know, I've, I'm, I'm glad we were able to dig into like that childhood stuff because that, that's just fascinating to me. And plus I have my own experience. There's a lot of people that write about this, that, uh, the way we speak to children becomes their internal voice. And I can only speak cause I don't have kids. I know my internal voice sounds a lot like someone I'm very familiar with. And it was like, she was kind of mean to me a lot, right? you know, and then I'm also very critical of myself, but in her voice, you know, about the things that she was critical about me with. And so like, if I make a mistake with a client or I perceive that I've done something wrong I'm going to go back to that that's I I pushed the button that was installed there and right it's like oh you know whatever it happens to be my weight or something you're you're always who you are no matter what position you're in and what what you have to do is adjust who you are for that position 
and it takes more energy to do that for some people than others. Yeah. Uh, and particularly if you're in a role that you're not really well suited for, you know, and I think that's the hardest thing as a leader to identify and to find is, okay, Philip, you're, you're really, you start out the week great, but by midweek or the end of the week, you just look like you're beaten down, which tells me you're either pushing yourself in the wrong direction or you're trying too hard to live into a role that you're not really set up or meant to be in, if that makes sense. Do you think you can change the role that you can be in? Like, can, they can be coached up, right? I mean, or You can be coached to a certain point, but I think at the end of the day, um, you know, some people don't want to be a business unit leader, as an example. Some people uh, don't want to be a CEO. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of people out there that I just want to feel like I'm learning something new every day. Uh, I feel like I'm contributing, and that's good enough for me. And that's, that's okay. And I think it's important that you nurture that as yeah. well and let them know, hey, you don't want to be a director ever? That's, that's great. I'm okay with that. Yeah. And I think as a leader, it's important to let them know you're okay with them just not being part of that natural, I need to constantly be moving up. Yeah, I think that's probably the key, right? That you're open to, you allow the space for them to say, that's not what I want. Right. I'm good right where I am. And that doesn't mean that uh, I'm complacent. It just Correct. means that I'm happy in doing what I'm doing. If I try to force people into roles they don't want or are not comfortable with, I'm not setting them up for success. Well, that's good stuff. I mean, I, you know, I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah, I did too. You. This has been fun. And, um, all right, before I let you go, what's one piece of advice that you can tell everyone that applies everywhere? Don't feel like you have to time box it. Oh, if it doesn't happen by this time, it's not going to happen ever. Um, it took you two years to do this, but don't feel like that's a, you did it. And that's the most important thing. I think one thing that restricts people is, okay, after year two, I have to be in this, this position. Then 18 months later, I need to be in this position. Let your career and let what you're learning, let your life experiences shape where and when things happen. You know, I couldn't have forecasted when I left AMS to go to Delta that I would then end up meeting Todd and George and joining IBC, or I had met Dan in the past or knowing Paul, you know, those are all just things from life experiences over time. And that's, that's how things, that's how you make and chart your course, I think. Well, thanks so much for uh, sitting down with us and um, look forward to hanging out with you more. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks for listening to DC Local Leaders. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on LinkedIn and YouTube by searching DC Local Leaders, on Instagram at DC Local Leaders, or our website, dclocalleaders.com. You can find the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or wherever you find great podcasts. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe.